Welcome to the Infertile Mafia. I'm Sarah, and this is Kayla. Hey guys, we're going to talk about Wanda and whacking it today. Talking about the reproductive endocrinologist. How to find one, how to prep for your visit, and what to expect when you get there. But first, Sarah, we have some business from our last episode to take care of. Okay, what is that? Okay. (laughs) I'm kind of embarrassed, but do you remember when we were talking about fertility supplements and things that people take in addition to, you know, like herbal stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So we kept saying New Haven. Right. That's not a thing. New Haven is a town in Connecticut. Ooh. So what is it? Whoopsie. It's Fairhaven. Oh. <laughs> My bad. Yeah. Fairhaven Health is the name of the company. And we kept going on and on about New Haven. We're like, New Haven, if you want to sponsor us. So I don't think we're off to a great start with Fairhaven, considering we called them New Haven over and over again. I'd know their name if they would have, you know, sent me some stuff before. Oh, burn. Burn. But I just never (laughs) learned it because. But yeah. yeah. (laughs) New Haven is a town in Connecticut, home of Yale University. And I only know that because of one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls. (laughs) Yeah, so um, Fairhaven Health, I'm really sorry we got your name wrong, but we'll get it right from this point forward. And then the other piece of business, we talked, I talked about OvuSense quite a bit. Right. Which was a fertility tracker that someone on our Facebook group recommended, or she, she didn't recommend it, but she mentioned it. And I completely botched that too, so... Anyway, I didn't I even realize up. you did. Well, okay, here's what I botched. I said that it has this little tail on it. You know how much we talked about how it looks like a like a sperm? Yeah. And I thought that the little tail had a thing that you plug into your phone, but that's not true. Oh. But it took me a while to figure out because I got really interested in this thing. I started researching it and I couldn't really read anywhere how it actually worked until our trusty friend YouTube. I'm like, I'm going to look this up on YouTube. I bet someone has used it and has talked about how it actually works, like a real person. So I found a YouTube video about how OvuSense works. And you actually dock it into a little thing that syncs to your phone. And that's how it reports the data onto your phone. So so there's no plugging anything that you stuck in your hoo-ha into your phone. Okay, so that makes sense. Yes. I actually got an and ad for it this week on Instagram. Did you? <laughs> I think they're listening to us. <laughs> By them, I mean like my phone's listening to us talk. The cookies. The cookies are listening. Yeah. Right. Right. I know. Someone's always listening. Google runs the world, everybody. Like I talked about Sonic and then I had a Sonic ad on my mm. Instagram. So Freaky deaky. Yeah. But I also, so this YouTube video that I saw, you'll get a kick out of this because we talked about this in an earlier episode about the kind of the crazy things people tell you to try. And this video, the very first comment on this girl's page, on this video that she made, 
the very first comment was, you might have heard of this, but when I was TTC, I was told to put a pillow or two under my butt so your body is at a slant after doing the deed so none of the sperm leaks out. And I thought, there you go. See, it's a thing. People say this. I, yeah, but... Does it work? <laughs> I just thought it was funny because we talked about it and then I saw it in real life. IRL. So anyway, so and then the last the last item of business is I felt like I ripped hard on the Ava bracelet. You did. I ripped hard and I have to pull that back a little bit all just to say that. If it works for someone, that is awesome. And I'm all for things that work for people and figuring out what works for you. So that was mostly in jest. But I guess the the biggest thing I should put out there or the reason I'm like skeptical about it is that price tag on it. So I really genuinely would love to hear from someone that has used it and really liked it. And I want someone to share with us like a positive experience they've had with the Ava bracelet. So that was mostly in jest. If it works for you or for someone, that's awesome. I'm all for doing what works. Yeah. So. Okay. (laughs) Disclaimer's over. (laughs) Oh, you were fine. I'm sure I ripped on them too. Well, yeah, but. (laughs) It's fine. I just. It's it's fine. I just I think it's okay to have a healthy bit of skepticism around these things because the infertility community is a vulnerable community or they can be. So there's I'm not doubtful that there's some people that will prey on the fact that some women and men are going to do anything to get a baby. And I'm not saying that that's Ava, but I would just be I just would be skeptical of anything that's the tells you that it can, you know, help you have a baby in one cycle or three cycles or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you've been trying a while. Right. Right. Okay. Anyway. How was, yeah. Anyway, how was your, how was your Easter? Easter was just this past weekend. It was very gloomy here. So that puts a damper on things. (laughs) I saw everyone's Easter pictures on Instagram. It's all sunny with flowers. Yeah, no flowers here. No leaves. Yeah. It was gloomy here too and it's actually snowing today in Chicago. Oh, no. So that's fun. It's actually sunny yeah. today here, but it's in the 40s, so. Yeah. Looks good, but it's cold. Not- How was your Easter? My Easter was amazing. It was awesome. It was beautiful just being with family and friends and and it was great. But I bring that up because I feel like all the these big holidays that are very family centric, I always think about those that are struggling with infertility because they can really be rough. Yeah. And and I don't know, I just always have this little this little uh voice in the back of my head that's like I hope all these people can find some peace and get through this because I I know it can be, it can be rough. Yeah, I saw some we people had, were having a hard time. Yeah, yeah, it can be, and every holiday it seems like they're all centered around kids. You know, mm-hmm. 
Easter with the bunny and Christmas with the Santa and Halloween and even like the 4th of July, everything like all the advertising and all the pictures you see on Facebook and Instagram is like everybody with their kids. And that can just be so hard when you're, I don't know, 4th of July is a party holiday here. (laughs) It gets crazy. (laughs) But I can see how it could be fun for kids too so that would make people think about you know not having kids right right it's just like another reminder that just keeps getting thrown in your face and so you feel like oh if we can just get past this holiday and go back to not having this constant reminder yeah I would just drink yeah there you go (laughs) I did a lot of that for sure and Easter fell on April Fool's Day this year, oh, on April yes. 1st. And I'm sure you saw my post in our Facebook group about <laughs> the classic. This happens every year where somebody announces as a prank that they're pregnant. This was the only one I saw, though. There were a couple others that I saw. But this, I think this one made the most news. So for anyone who's not... This was the most recent bachelor and his now fiance, who America already hated because the guy like picked the one girl and then he left her for the runner up girl. <laughs> so nobody likes him anyway. And then they pull this prank. So the runner up girl just took him back. She just took him back. She's like, oh, OK, you were just kidding. Cool. I don't watch this show, so I don't know who these people are. It You're not missing anything. We've talked about this mm-hmm. before. If you watch The Bachelor, you are wasting three hours of your life once a week. So just don't. It's good that you don't watch it. Um, but yeah, anyway, so they're they're in some hot water after doing this this April Fool's pregnancy announcement. And it got me thinking. I thought it would be something that we could maybe just touch on. Um, about explaining why it's hurtful, because I think some people, this goes back to not them not probably not intentionally trying to hurt anyone's feelings, and so I give them like I think it was in poor taste. Don't get me wrong. I think it. I just I don't think it's funny. I think it was in poor taste, but I don't think they were doing it to try to like piss a bunch of people off. I think they're just ignorant to the infertility community and how something like that can be hurtful. And then there's people that just don't understand why. So I thought maybe we could touch on, hey, this is why that's hurtful. Because getting pregnant's not a joke to us. Or people who miscarry, (laughs) like that's not funny. Right. Someone says they're pregnant and then they're not pregnant. They're like, oh, I'm just joking. Right. Yeah. I think it's it's like you're saying it's hard enough for an infertile person or someone who has experienced miscarriage or infant loss to cope when they see so many people around them getting pregnant or having babies with ease. So when they see an announcement they're already dealing with all sorts of feelings of like they're trying to be happy for this person, but they feel guilty that they're sad or jealous um, and they're sad for themselves. Like they feel this pain all over again. 
And then to find out that it was all a joke is like putting salt in this deep wound. And it's just hurtful because it causes unnecessary pain for people. Yeah. Um, And it was a holiday. You know. What's that? And it was a holiday. It was Easter and people were doing (laughs) pregnancy announcements on Easter. They always do them on holidays. Yeah, it is. uh, Do do them on a lot of holidays. 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 Why holidays? I mean, I guess they do it on holidays so they can do like cute puns. Yeah. Why? I don't know. Yeah, like he said. What did he say? Something like it was on Twitter. We have a bunny in the oven or something like that. So he did a play off of Easter. Yeah. No, I think you're right. The the holidays help. You can have a cutesy announcement yeah they should have said the what what is the old pregnancy thing from like the 50s like the rabbit is dead or something do you know what i'm talking about i have no idea what you're talking about yeah they would like shoot women's pee into the rabbit and then open it up what yeah to see if something happened i can't remember let me look this up uh, yeah let's uh let's co- <laughs> Wait, to see if the woman was pregnant? No, they looked inside the bunny's, like, ovaries to see if something happened. This this sounds, this sounds morbid. <laughs> okay, so let's move on. To, anyway. <laughs> let's move on to the RE. Yeah. Sarah, talk to me about what, what's a reproductive endocrinologist? So a reproductive endocrinologist endocrinologist is an infertility doctor and they mostly just do infertility cases wouldn't you say i mean i think they do some non-infertility hormone related things for people but most of their work is infertility and right it's a subspecialty of obgyn yes doctors yeah. In, so they yeah. are gynecologists first, first, firsts, first, and then they do additional schooling and training f- to become reproductive endocrinologists and specialize in fertility. Yeah. I think. Yes. Yeah. I think it's like three years at least. Right, which is why you want to, if you're having trouble conceiving, you want to go see one of those doctors and not just stick with your OB, like we've talked about. I mean, usually an OB will send you to one if they are a good judge, which is what my first OB did when things looked off, which I appreciate. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's great that you didn't try to treat me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But so when do you need one? Is the next yeah, question. When do you need when one? You need one? Uh, if you'll probably see an OBGYN first, and usually they will see a need for you to see a specialist. And a lot of times they'll only send you after 12 months or if they can see something is going on. Right. And um, I know that we're probably, we're going to talk about this in the next episode, but the first test that the OBGYN had us do was the semen analysis, even before she mm. checked anything on me. Yes. So, because that's the easiest one to do. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But we're going to talk about we, that we, in the next episode. 
Right. I would say the only exceptions to the rule of um, waiting for a referral from an OB are things like if you're over the age of 35 uh, and then you can see one within six months of trying. And can you just call them or do you usually need a referral? I'm not sure. It might depend on the doctor. I I literally walked into my RE. I didn't even call. I walked in <laughs> and walked up to the receptionist and said, "I'd like to schedule an appointment, please." So, I didn't oh. I didn't wait for a referral. Um, but if you if you know you have irregular or absent periods like you've talked about, you're over the age of 35, you've had recurrent miscarriages or any other known fertility issues, these are all things you don't need to wait a year for. The only other one that's um, probably a little bit of an outlier is if you are a woman who maybe doesn't want to get married or you don't think you're ever going to get married, but you know you want to have biological children. Maybe you want to possibly freeze eggs, which you'd want to do when you are younger. Or you, you know, if there's something like that going on, then you would also just go straight to the RE and skip the OB. I have an opinion on freezing eggs, and I think we should do a show on it in the future. Okay. Yeah. Should give us a little teaser. Oh, I, I don't know. I think it is over. Uh, I don't know. The, I think people put too much faith in it. In freezing eggs? Yeah. Because well, you hear eggs are you, not as hardy as embryos. So even a young person freezing eggs, when you unfreeze those eggs, you might not get any embryos. Mm. You mean like the actual act of freezing them is damaging? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But then, yeah, because you, you always hear that if you're going to ever freeze eggs to do it, when you're younger than rather than waiting. So you hear that a lot. I've heard stories of women who they will freeze eggs in their early 30s and knowing that they want to have kids much later because they're on a career path at the time. But they want to try to freeze good eggs and don't like that's basically like going through IVF. You do the egg retrieval, you do the stimming, you do the egg retrieval, and then you freeze them. And now you have to pay to store them for however long, and that's not cheap either. Mm -mm. But it is an option for people, especially like the working woman who doesn't want to. But that is interesting and something we should talk about. Um, yeah, we'll have to do more research on it because I was researching mm -hmm. it randomly before, and it's just I'm, not all it's cracked yeah. up to be. Well, no pun intended. I'm interested. <laughs> In freezing and thawing stats in general, like with embryos too, because right now PGS and PGD testing, which is like the genetic testing of embryos, is like the industry standard now. Mm -hmm. And but then you already see it swinging back, and some uh, fertility specialists saying, "Don't do it. It's not worth it. It's it's too much trauma for the embryo to freeze it, and then take a chunk out of it and freeze it again and thaw and freeze." Did and you thaw do that? Freeze. So. No, we didn't do PGS testing, but it wasn't the in industry standard even four years ago. No, it it's wasn't. It's like a new, but it is now. It's like, it's very much like you're in the minority if you don't do it now. Yeah. So. It, there's so many things. 
<laughs> I know. There's so many things. So so back to the or, RE. Yeah, back to the RE. Uh, how would you prepare for your first appointment? Like, how would you pick out a doctor or what? What did you bring to your first appointment? Did you have questions for them? Right. All these things, yes. I think the first place that I would start now is after you find out the any fertility doctors that are in your area, which for some people, they don't have a lot of choices, which is, which is too bad. I was looking on a website, actually, uh, fertilitynation.com. I've never looked at that one. FertilityNation.com, and it shows a map of the United States and of, it, it actually gives a lot of information, but um, one of them is is the rates for IVF, like per capita in the state or something like that. And like I've pulled it up right now, and Montana and Wyoming have zero REs. There's not one in the entire state, which is kind of sad. That's like... That's weird Sad. because the first doctor who did our first IVF, I think she moved to Montana. Maybe she wasn't an really? RE. Hmm. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, this also could be an old map. In fact, I'm looking at it right now and it says it's from 2008. Whoa. So it probably is old. That, yeah, that is old. Or It definitely is old. It's 10 years old. But I would be willing to bet that there's not very many to choose from in Montana and Wyoming. I'm sure that that's still true. Maybe not zero, but probably not very many. But if you do have, if you're fortunate enough to have a bunch to choose from in a place like where I live in a city like Chicago, it's good to compare before you even choose one to narrow down. You can look at the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, and the Society for Assisted Reproductive Technology both have websites SART. that report the SART. They both have websites that report success rates for IVF clinics. So you can start there. You can look up the doctor or the clinic and you can find out their success rate. The only disclaimer I would put on that is to be careful with those stats because some of them can be misleading. You really want to read the fine print because... So, like, for example, some clinics only report pregnancies as opposed to live births. So they're not reporting when patients miscarry. You know, they're only reporting that they got this many people pregnant. Or some candidates or excuse me, some clinics are are very picky about candidates and they're only going to pick, quote, good candidates so that their numbers then are higher. So you just really want to read the fine print. But I think it's good information to have. Is that how you found your RE? I did. I did. She at the time, she doesn't now, but at the time she had the the highest success rate in the Chicagoland area. So that was one thing that I did like. And it fluctuates year to year. I mean, just think about all the variables in every patient that walks through the door of any. So that is that's one piece that I would look at that I would consider. I would also just Google the doctor's name yeah. and the clinic. See what you find. Find reviews. That you can find reviews from these people um, or from uh, former patients. I would make sure, obviously, that they're board certified. Um, see if they have any areas of specialization, you know, anything that they're particularly like good at, so to speak. How many years they've been practicing and are they affiliated with like a good 
hospital or a good facility. And then finally, how they treat you. You know, that that's really my most important, like, what does your gut tell you? Um, and it's okay to have more than one consultation and try out more than one if you have that option. If you have the money. But do the, if you have the money. Did you have to pay listen to for you? your consultation? Or did your I insurance? I think we did pay. I think our insurance paid for the consultation. Oh, that's nice. Yes. So, yeah, we had to pay which you brought up. everything out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Every single thing, anything that has to do with the infertility clinic, <laughs> we have to pay for. Um, so, yeah. each consultation yeah. is between three hundred and four hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, in case you're wondering. <laughs> But um, yeah, we well, cost is huge. Yeah, yeah, we it's a huge factor. We found ours, our second one, a little bit differently than that. Um, I knew the doctor that I wanted to go to if I got pregnant, and um, my best friend saw him for her super high risk pregnancy, and she talked very highly of him. And he's a maternal fetal medicine specialist. So I looked at his website and he did pre-conception consultations. Mm-hmm. And our insurance actually paid for that. So we went to Perfect. meet him and I told him my history and he was like, whoa. <laughs> and then he said, OK, I have an RE that I would recommend to you. He said he's a little eccentric, but he's oh, yes. good. And so I just went with his recommendation because I trusted his opinion. So that's how right. I found our RE. And and then you ultimately, after meeting him, you liked him. Yeah, and I did. went with your gut mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. Right. I felt good about it. I think, right. And you have... You, I can't stress how important that is. If you have the option to choose from more than one, like your relationship with them is vital, in my opinion, that you feel good about them. You feel confident in their choices, because if you don't and you're just wishy-washy about it, that's another layer of stress and you just don't need it. So that's huge for you to feel confident and comfortable with with the doctor. And you brought up insurance and that's also like, especially with changes in healthcare, that seems like there's a, a lot more coverage for infertility these days than there used to be. I didn't have any either. They, my insurance would pay for like some blood work and usually for some ultrasounds, but that's it. Nothing, nothing when it got into actual treatment, you know. That's kind of they weren't surprising since you're in Illinois because. Well, I had an insurance plan that was grandfathered in, did not oh. um, have to abide by the Affordable Health Care Act laws. Yeah. Hmm. So, because I worked for a religious nonprofit. Oh. So, it was a grandfathered plan. <laughs> I kind of wish I could have had a grandfathered plan because in Missouri, the healthcare market has the worst plans ever. Like, mm. There's no point in having insurance almost. I can't even mm-hmm. go to my preferred hospital now. Mm-hmm. And they don't cover any infertility at all. Yeah. Oh, it's a mess. I keep getting emails saying, 
your claim was denied. And I'm like, what claim was denied? denied? <laughs> and oh, it's such yeah. a headache. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But that is that is something to consider if you I would look if does your health care plan even have fertility coverage at all? And then if it does, where is it covered would be the next question to look into. And kind of along that line, I would definitely, I'm sure you'll agree, consider the location because you're going to be going there a lot. So if you have a half an hour commute to get to this doctor, that's not just bad. consider that. Ours it's not, was a, an hour and a half one way. Oof. Still is. And mine was five minutes. What? <laughs> I know. I know. I know. But that's <sighs> something else to consider because I think before I saw an RE, I didn't realize how much I was going to have to be there all the time. And so, I mean, if you if you have a lab that you can, that's closer to you that can work with your RE if they're far away, you know, to do blood work and stuff like that. But if you're having to see them every other day, like if you're going through IVF and you have to drive that far, like some people that would be really hard for them. So I would consider the location for sure. Yeah, that's the closest, I think. I don't know if there's someone in Springfield, but mm -hmm. that's like, I don't know, an hour and 15 yeah. minutes. <laughs> so a little closer, but not much. Yeah. yeah. And so... For me, an hour and a half is the closest you can get. Like, you could go two and a half hours if you wanted to go to Kansas City or St. Louis. Mm -hmm. But when you're in the middle of the state where there's not a whole bunch of big cities by you, it's hard. Which there's a right. lot of states like that. There are Exactly. It goes back to what I was saying just about access alone to, to doctors at all. So, yeah, that's that's that's. It's obviously doable. Sarah did it, but it is something to consider. Just work that into your equation, how much you might have to be traveling to this place, especially if you have a full-time job and, you know, you just got to consider all these things. So no place is perfect, though, right? No. I mean, every place is going to have things you do and don't like. So ultimately, go with your gut. It's just get comfortable with the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned what to bring. We'll just touch on this really quick. I think you don't really have to bring much except maybe your previous medical history if you have any. So For the first appointment, you mean? For the first appointment, right. I mean, usually they have you fill out a question, like really long questionnaire. Uh, right. At least a month before you go to your consultation, usually. Mm -hmm. Depends on the place. But right. usually you fill out a questionnaire and you have to send all of your medical history mm -hmm. and then you go to your consultation and usually the doctor just talks does most of the talking because they yeah. will asks you more yeah, questions they will have <laughs> looked over your history by the time you're in there and they should have yeah, yeah. they should have and then mm -hmm. they'll talk to you about your history and then what they can do to help you right that first visit is Mostly chatter, just chatting yeah. back and forth, getting to know each other. Have any known like health, like for example, I had been diagnosed with hypothyroidism several years before I saw an, saw an RE. So I made sure to bring 
all of that information from my regular doctor because I knew that that was relevant to fertility. I also brought all the charting I had been doing for like the past six months. Did they look which at I it? Think they, they, they looked at it for about 10 seconds. And I know inside they were like laughing. <laughs> like, that's cute. They're like, but I charted. <laughs> I know. But I guess the, yeah. So at least it gave them an idea like, okay, well, she has normal cycles. You know, they're all 29 days long and she ovulates. There's no harm in giving them as much information as you can. That it only helps them. That's true. You know? Um, at my first so. appointment, they did an ultrasound to check if I had PCOS because I had never officially been diagnosed with it. So mm-hmm. at that appointment, they pretty much diagnosed me with it because they did the ultrasound and then they did some blood tests and they came back with my testosterone being raised. And so they're like, yeah, you have PCOS. So at they, di- <laughs> they did actually do something at the first appointment. Yeah. But I think yeah. now my RE does has a video he has people watch during their first appointment that explains oh things. I heard it during uh, we had just transferred and I was laying down and I could hear the video coming from the next room. When it's like. Welcome to New Haven Fertility, where we will... Yeah. <laughs> One of those? Yeah. And it's actually the doctor talking. And he's like, this is a state-of-the-art facility, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I would like that. I'd be like, why don't you just tell me that? I don't want to watch your stupid video. And then I, I'm sure he talked to them <laughs> and talked about their issues. and Well, sure. Of course. Yeah. Stuff. But... Which would be another thing I would bring are the questions that I have for the doctor. I would write them down and I would have them. Don't just have them in your head. That wouldn't work for me. I would need them like written down somewhere or on your phone, whatever. But think about those questions beforehand. Um, And then something to record your consultation. But do you tell them? Well, even if you don't tell them. It's not as long as you're not using it for like mass production or something. I think it's okay. Yeah, usually but it's just for your own. Exactly. I did this for every consult I had because I get super overwhelmed in situations like that where people are hitting me with lots of information and it's hard for me to like process everything in the moment. Mm-hmm. So so I would record it and then I could let it digest and go back and listen and it was really helpful for me to to do that and especially if Bill wasn't along for the ride because bringing Bill is like bringing a recorder because he (laughs) remembers everything but I definitely don't well that's nice yeah (laughs) so once you go to the consultation you will schedule another appointment to do testing because you, you're not just going to jump into a cycle without doing testing, usually. It's, it's a little right. bit irresponsible if they, they're like, okay, let's do an IUI starting tomorrow. So that would yeah. ring some alarm bells for me, which I had that happen to one of my friends. She's like, yeah, let's start an IUI. I'm like, how can you start an IUI without testing both people? Yeah. And they knew that they there was to- a problem with the guy. Right. And they still did it. I'm like, come on. 
Right. Let's try to they fix have to put your problem puzzle together first. Right. Yeah. They have to gather all the information and figure out your your puzzle. So that's what that first that month of fact finding is all it is mm-hmm. really. So they like if you come on like the 15th day of your cycle or something, they're going to tell you most likely, OK, come in after you have your next period and we're going to have to track you for a month which means blood work every week or so, ultrasound as well. And then at the end of that month, now they have a clear picture of what's happening to your body in a cycle. And then from there they can say, okay, now let's try an IUI or now let's try whatever. And even after that, they might want to do an HSG or oh, yeah. whatever. It depends on I the think situation. I most recommend an HSG right off the bat. I know you didn't have to have one. No, I didn't. <laughs> but I think most REs recommend an HSG right away. I'm glad I didn't it's, have to have one. That would be super oh, painful. You should because they blow. Well, my tubes were blocked. I know. All this if stuff would have just went in there and like, yeah, it would have hurt. Yeah. Well, that's what that test, I mean, it's not the only thing it's for, but that is one of the reasons people have that test. And if they already knew that about you. you know, yeah, there's no point. Why put you through that? Right, exactly. Um, circling back to the questions really quick, I wanted to mention this website because I thought it was really good. Have you heard of the Stirrup Queens? No, I haven't. Okay, so it's just www.stirrup dash queens.com and it's got a lot of really good information i'm not going to read them all right now but they have an article that's all about questions for your re in that first visit and it's really good so if anyone's looking to go sometime soon i would 100 go look at that and find you it's like a lot of things you wouldn't necessarily think about like for example are they open on the weekend my clinic wasn't. I didn't ask that. And it it can be, like, not good if they're not open on the weekend. That's true. Um, you know, just some, something like that that you just, you don't, you don't even think about. So I would definitely go check check that out for sure. Um, anyway. We'll put that in the show notes. Show notes, yeah. Yeah, and we'll put a link to it. So um, we talked about the HSG. We talked about the blood work and tracking. We talked about... The transvaginal ultrasound, which is why I said Wanda at the top of the show. Oh, okay. Does any, well, that's like, it's like a nickname. For the <laughs> for the, the tra- wand. For the transducer, I think it's actually called. The thing that, you know, goes up. I don't know what it's called. Yeah. I could ask my sister-in-law. She's an ultrasound tech. Right. That's right. I think it's called a transducer. I'll probably be correcting myself in the business at the top of the next episode. <laughs> probably. Yeah. But people call it Wanda. So. Oh, um, yeah. a little side note about blood work. Always ask how much it's going to be because mm-hmm. I got genetic testing done. I think it was at yes. the first appointment. It might have been the second point, second appointment because I'm super white and the uh, doctor was like, <laughs> I feel like you could be a carrier for cystic fibrosis. Mm-hmm. He didn't say cystic fibrosis, but I, I looked it up after. I'm like, what do people who are super white <laughs> carry? <laughs> so 
I, I did that blood test and it tested for a lot of things, like a lot of genetic yes. things. Was it counsel? I don't know. It had okay. a whole bunch of things. I, I was, I'm not mm-hmm. a carrier for anything that they tested for. And uh, I got awesome. the bill for the blood test and it was $4,000. Oh my gosh. And that was Whoa. right before we were about to start the cycle. And I was like, $4,000. Oh, man. How is this $4,000? Like, each test was $20-ish. So, ask how much those tests are going to be, because genetic testing can be expensive. It's not cheap. Who knew? (laughs) Not me. (laughs) Yeah, but I think that's pretty standard as well. Like, everything we've mentioned so far, the, the... transvaginal ultrasounds the blood work the hsg the semen analysis these are all things that should happen in that fact finding month that we're referring to including the genetic testing and this is like to me a no brainer to before you spend all this money potentially on ivf let's find out if you're you and your partner are a carrier for any kind of severe disease or you know like let's let's make sure we know that going in um we did we both did council genetic testing i think that's it's a pretty common one that gets used council with a c-o-u-n-s-y-l and if it comes back that you are that you are positive for something then included with your the price of your testing is a is a session with a genetic counselor, which is neat because then they can talk to you about your test results, what it means for your health, what it would mean in this case, like for conceiving a child. And this is how Bill and I both find found out that we have methylene tetrahydro, tetrahydrofolate reductase, MTHFR. It's a lot of words. That's how, it's a lot of words. It's just a, that's, but that's how we both found out that we're, deficient in our ability to process folic acid, which is really all that is. So do you just take folate? You have to take bioactive folate. It's called L-methylfolate. It has to be like in its, you know, most bioavailable form. But good to know. That's, yeah. (laughs) But these are all things that most likely are going to happen in that fact finding, in that fact finding visit, which can get overwhelming right off the bat, which is our next topic that we're going to talk about are just feelings and thoughts on what it means to involve an RE into your, into, into this journey of trying to have a baby. It's a little, I mean, it's stressful. Yeah. And yeah, it gets real. It gets real. Do you want to read what people on Facebook said about it? Yeah, uh, let's see. Well, I don't... Our question was about infertility. It wasn't about... Or it was about the the stigma of infertility. Oh. I don't think we asked them specifically about... That's all right. Um, I think think it's a big step to involve an RE because it takes this huge leap of courage... And it's also admitting that you need help, which can be really hard for some people. Yes. It's like an enormous surrender of control, you know? And it's a little scary that it won't work. 
Mm-hmm. There's a lot of now, money on the line. It's a huge investment now of your emotional, mental, financial, everything. It's It becomes such a, a huge investment. And you're inviting so many strangers into this very intimate process. And that can be really hard. I think on the other hand, though, it it can give you some relief because it's out of your hands now to some degree. Like you're putting it into the hands of a knowledgeable, capable person who knows what they're doing. You're not just like the blind leading the blind. Oh, well, let's let's try this diva cup again this month. Yeah. You know, like you now have like someone who with medical knowledge that can give you a plan, you know. Yeah. And it feels like you're closer to reaching your goal, too. Yeah. Which is a good because feeling. Up, right. Up to that point, by the time you're seeing an RE, you're pretty desperate usually it's like for some help, some answers. If nothing else, you want some answers by the time you're seeing an RE. True. But I think I think the 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 seeing an RE can make the stigma worse maybe internally. Especially if you can, if you're someone who wants to keep it a secret, it can get tricky about juggling it and how it's going. And um, so, for better or worse, sometimes seeing an RE can exacerbate the stigma. I think, like, just or it did for me, um, because it just causes more stress. You've upped the ante. There's a larger investment. All these things we've talked about. So, and I think that was a better question for us to to ask our listeners on our in our Facebook group and on Instagram was about the stigma of infertility specifically. So we asked them why you think it exists and maybe just how we can improve that. What can we do? Okay, so from Facebook, someone said, I think it's because there is a level of shame and embarrassment surrounding infertility. There shouldn't be, but there is. I think especially for men in the case of male factor infertility, no man really wants to feel like his boys can't get the job done, which I would. True. I would. Yeah, I would assume that's how it would feel. Uh, mm-hmm. Someone else said for women, I think a lot of emotions. Oh, this is still this is still Mandy. OK, <laughs> I didn't see that where it said Mandy said this. Oh, sorry. It is. Is this whole thing her? It's all her. Okay, so this is all from Mandy, or Amanda, (laughs) as some of you might know her. Yeah. Uh, She said, for women, I think a lot of emotions come into play with feeling like you are the only one around, you not able to get the one thing a woman is meant to do, uh, get to do the one thing a woman is meant to do, get pregnant, carry and birth a baby. There's also a large stigma surrounding infertility because I have found that most people feel it's 100% none of anyone's business when it comes to baby making. I mean, how awkward is it when well-meaning individuals, families, friends, or strangers start asking you about your sex life and if you are doing it enough or correctly to have a baby? (laughs) I mean, I don't want anyone in my family or too many of my friends getting that personal with me. True. Yeah. And then she said, I just find that it helps others and breaks the stigma, probably, to share their journey. I agree with that. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, no real personal graphic details, just enough to let others know, hey, we couldn't do this the conventional way, conventional way. So we had other options open to us, and so do you. You aren't alone. I find that being open to a certain degree has allowed many people to reach out to me and say, you know what? We are struggling too. Thanks for sharing. No way would I ever explain to the general public how many times my husband has had to go take a visit to the naughty room, as we call it. (laughs) I would die. And And so not anyone's business. However, to the infertility community, I would have no problem saying what it was like for my hubby each time he took a magical trip to the room of digital porn at the RE's office. (laughs) No one but you gals in this tribe would get it or be phased by it. (laughs) That's true. That's very true. Yeah. We're going to talk about that naughty room in our next episode. (laughs) That's funny that they call it that. Yeah. That's the, I haven't heard it called the naughty room. I haven't either. <laughs> I think it's pretty well stated. It's awkward to talk about. It's sharing really personal details about something that's traditionally very private. So most of us grew up being taught not to talk about penises and vaginas. <laughs> and certainly not to complete strangers. That's true. You know? Or, so, you know, masturbating into a cup. Right. Definitely not. Like, you're not even supposed to... Masturbating is not a thing. So, (laughs) talking about, you know, like, that it's a thing. I'm saying it wasn't talked about in my house growing up. That's for damn sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, of course, that doesn't help the stigma that it's this very private topic, even though everybody has a penis or a vagina. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. We've all got it. It's kind of like everyone poops. So, you know, it's just part of life. (laughs) So don't feel embarrassed. Right. So don't feel embarrassed. Exactly. Uh, This next one is from Brett. She said, why did my husband think it would happen so quickly? His mother had three unplanned pregnancies. His older brother has had three unplanned pregnancies. His younger brother had one pregnancy on the first month of TTC. The amount of shame and guilt I feel for not being able to make that happen for him is what keeps me from being out about this whole journey. I don't want his family's judgment, pity, or noisiness into what... Noisiness. Oh, Nosiness into what is a noise or noisiness. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing to say into what is a very sore subject for me. It's something that I'm working through slowly. The only way I'm able to work through it is by coming out about it. So I am slowly and to people I trust. It is important to me to get there eventually because I believe that being open about these things, because I, sorry. Because I believe in being open about these things to children. I want to work through the shame and guilt before I have a child and they feel that. I do plan on coming out eventually. If it is not until the time that the child is born, that is fine. But I won't hide it past that. Cool. Yeah. Did you come out before? Did you tell people that you had infertility issues? Uh, not right away. No. Like in real life, like on Facebook. 
Oh, no. Ever? No, no, Did you no. ever say anything on Facebook? Uh, I don't, I'm not a big Facebook person, so no, but I don't hide it now, but it took me a while to get to that point. It took me a while to feel confident enough to share and talk about this stuff openly. So I, I love her honesty in what she's saying because I feel like most of us have all been there where you, it is a sore subject and especially in the case like she was in or she is in where everyone in her family, they're just not going to understand this because they don't have any trouble getting pregnant. So there's no one that really understands what she's going through. I've talked about that in my own family that I felt that way. Um, but I, I think she's doing all the right things to share when and how you're ready and with people that you trust. And I love the sentiment that that she wants to work through this before having a child and could pa- could potentially pass that those feelings of like shame and guilt on to them, you know? So it's awesome that you're working through that because I think about this with my own girls. I know that someday they might struggle with infertility. I hope they don't, but they might and they'll certainly struggle with something someday. Yeah. And I would want them to feel confident to share what they're going through and not carry shame and guilt with them so working through this now is a great gift for your future children yeah just before we started recording i was showing bjorn his embryo picture oh and i said hey that's you and (laughs) the sibling picture i have them in little pineapple frames and i'm like so which one's you and he picked out his picture oh that's so cute so we're that is 100 percent he knows. Yeah. He, that's well, not really. But. Absolutely a silver lining of infertility. You get really early baby pictures. <laughs> and that's true. <laughs> yeah. Mine, I have a picture of, they, they gave us a picture um, of all our fertilized embryos in one shot. Oh. So I have all six of them that made it to blastocyst stage, and it's framed in the girls' nursery as well. Aww. So we point it out sometimes too. Like, there's all your brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah. So, which to some people might, they, that's weird, but yeah, that's I don't true. think it's weird. That's, you know. My, so, yeah, my cousin I, who did IVF, I was like, so do they know? And she said, no. And I really, yeah, and they're older. I mean, they're not older, older, but I think one's turning 10 and one's turning seven this year. Mm-hmm. And the seven year old was frozen. And I, I don't, I don't know. She said something about him not liking the fact that he was a frozen embryo or something. Oh, I really? can't remember what it was, but they don't That's know. Interesting. I don't think. Huh. I've had people ask me, are you going to tell them that you did IVF? And my initial reaction is like, yeah, of course I'm going to tell them. Like, why should I? Why? I don't know why, why I would hide that from them. That is part of their story. It's part of my story. That's part of who they are and part of their parents. And, you know, I just I don't see anything to gain from hiding it I don't know I've heard other people say they won't tell them Hmm. I would just be interested if if someone has that opinion right like send us an email I want to hear your opinion on why why you would not want to share that yeah infertilemafia at (laughs) gmail.com all right we had one from Instagram too I'll read that one this is from journey to baby 
Good question. We had kept it a secret for years, and then one day I woke up and asked my husband, why are we hiding something that is such a big part of our story? It was more to spare others of feeling awkward, but it wouldn't be a taboo topic if everyone talked about it more. So we started to be open about it. So freeing. Definitely. Yeah. It is. I totally agree. Yeah. And that's like our whole motivation for doing this podcast. I mean, that's one of them is to talk openly about it and to kind of knock that stigma down on its face. Like, there's no there's no place for you here, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but even I have occasional moments now where I think, oh, man, if I share this, what is this person going to think of me? But those moments are so fleeting because... I've been so open about it and it is freeing. The more times you share with people, the easier and easier it gets. And like Mandy was saying, oftentimes you find people say, hey, I went through that too. Or, you know, people come out of the woodwork like sharing their story because now they feel comfortable like they can talk about it. Yeah. Share, share, share. Everybody share. Yeah. What is your thought on infertility stigma like where do you think it comes from what's your personal take on it um I I think it's just like an awkward thing to talk about yeah and you don't know what people are gonna say to you yeah (laughs) about it and we've we've talked about that a lot like all the crazy things people say so yeah like have you tried this blah 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 you know you know yeah all the things yeah so in some ways, it's easier to just keep it to yourself. Yes. Because you don't want to deal with that. Yes. Yeah. So I have another take on it. Like, I feel like it go. I feel like it goes even deeper than that. I feel like the stigma exists from like generations of this idea of like. Even going back to like biblical times, biblical culture, where a man could just swap out his wife if she wouldn't give him enough sons. Or, you know, even as early as like the 1950s, when any issue related to infertility was all the woman's fault, Mm -hmm. you know, and that wasn't that long ago. So I think just over time, the stigma comes from like our inward interpretation of like an outward societal norm. Whoa. And <laughs> it's like that idea of once once you reach a certain age, this is what people expect of you. This is what society says is normal. So if you're not able to do the normal thing, in some cases you feel shame about it, especially if you want to be able to do it. Yeah. And you feel shame about it, like there's something wrong with you. And... The societal norm between women and mothers at a certain age, they're like interchangeable. Like they just I like over 35. There's just not a lot like women and motherhood. It's like an interchangeable word almost. So it just perpetuates this stigma, I think, of women who can't who don't have that or can't have it. And then it creates embarrassment, shame and guilt and all those terrible things that we're trying to eradicate here. <laughs> so Nothing to feel guilty about. Go ahead. Do you want to do our out of the box? Sure. Segment? We'll just make it quick. Yeah. Okay. We're going to talk today about 
Because we've never talked about how we re- how we're recording this podcast in two different states. We're so I'm in Chicago and Sarah's in Missouri. <laughs> I'm in mid Missouri. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a and tourist live, trap. She's in a tourist trap, and I'm in a cement jungle. Cement? Do you say cement or cement? Um, hmm, cement. <laughs> I know. I think it's my Texas roots coming out when I say cement. Wait, what did I just I say? Think you just said cement. Cement. Oh, cement. Cement is like a northern thing. Southerners say cement. <laughs> I don't know what I say. Don't overthink it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna slip the word cement in one of our show notes and then you'll just read it and then we'll know what you actually just you no, know cement. subconsciously would say cement yes it starts to sound like semen after a yeah. while or cement i don't know <laughs> which is appropriate for this podcast but anyway we are recording from two different states we just google chat each other and we're in our closets because mm-hmm. We're not professionals. We don't know what we're doing. So we just talk into a microphone to each other and and that's it. That's how we do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the closet's the quietest place at my house. Mine too. So, so that's why that's why we're we're in the closet in our podcast, but we're way out of the closet about our infertility. Yeah. So, yeah. You like living in the city too, don't you? I love living in the city. And I, I do. kind of, I don't live in the country. I don't even know what to call it. It's kind of I don't country. live in the country, but I don't live in a city. It's beautiful. I'm not going to say where you live, but it's beautiful. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away. You have a, you have a beautiful view. As time goes on, that way. maybe I'll tell people where I live. Yeah. It's a show on Netflix. <laughs> There's a little hint, I'll say everybody. That. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really pretty, especially it is really when it's pretty. warm. Yeah, and I just I think it's cool that we're able to, come, like that the technology exists that we can do this, like that we're able to bring this to you from two different states. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. So we'll wrap it up. Let's talk one more time about our sock giveaway which everyone knows now why we're doing pineapple socks, the unofficial symbol for infertility. And all you have to do to get your three pack of pineapple socks is subscribe to this podcast and give us a review and a rating on iTunes. And we're going to randomly pick a winner at the end of National Infertility Awareness Week, which so you have about two weeks. And that's all you have to do. So... Join our closed Facebook group, The Infertile Mafia. Follow us on Instagram at Infertile Mafia Podcast. And as always, feel free to send us an email to infertilemafia at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you can hear lots of talks about eggs and balls and stuff. In our next few (laughs) episodes, we're going to talk about some of those tests you go through after seeing the RE, like the semen analysis. Trans vaginal, vaginal, transvaginal ultrasounds, and the HSG. Ironically, I've never had to have one. Don't hate. Tune in to find out why. Yeah, so we touched on some of those earlier. 
in the episode, but we're, we're going to really dig in, pun intended, Ugh. some of those tests. All right. Thanks for joining the Infertile Mafia, everyone. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye.